This is episode 177 with author, entrepreneur, and former Division I national qualifying cross-country athlete, Mr. Brian Green. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features the author of Make the Leap, Mr. Brian Green. He's written a behavioral change playbook that outlines how performance breakthroughs happen and how you can engineer your own. From your psychology to the training environment you find yourself in and your hidden training plan, this episode will help you think more clearly about what it takes to reach your loftiest goals. Before we start, I want to make sure we're all running the same workout here. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry, the coaches, performance psychologists, elite athletes, registered dietitians, authors, and physical therapists who can help you elevate your performance. While you have to do the work, my goal is to show you the most strategic ways to do that work, to work smarter and more productively so you can take your running to new heights. Because when you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll make better decisions about your training, leading to more effective running, fewer injuries, and faster races. Don't miss our other resources that can help you bring your running to the next level. We have a video channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, where I answer your running questions, I show you effective strength and core routines, and we talk through your most pressing training issues. And of course, our home base is strengthrunning.com. For more than 10 years, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Inside Tracker, a company that I've partnered with for a long time because they truly help endurance athletes optimize their training, and they do so with a simple blood test. I'm a customer myself, and I really love their science-based approach, and I think this is one of those investments that actually make you into a better runner. So fig- you can figure out if you're over or under training, you can train more effectively. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING with no space to save 10% on any of their blood testing kits at InsideTracker.com. I also don't want you to miss our new series this week all about your mindset on our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com STRENGTHRUNNING and you'll see that I'm publishing a new video every day this week, Monday through Friday, about avoiding burnout, how to make running more fun, taking bigger risks, and a lot more. You can subscribe to our channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, and you'll never miss a video. All right, my guest today is quite the polymath. He's the co-founder and chief operating officer of Go Be More Apparel, host of the Go Be More podcast, organizer of the Ignite Sendai conference in Japan that connects entrepreneurs, and author of the new book, Make the Leap. Brian Green ran for UCLA from 1997 through 2002, where he was a two-time national qualifier for cross-country, captain of the track team, and third-place finisher at the 2001 Pac-10 10,000-meter final. And in this conversation, we're focusing on the mental side of training, the mindset that's required for high performance, and all of the little things that enable us to succeed that aren't really little at all. 
we're going to discuss feedback loops, his optimal training pyramid, your hidden training program, and building your self-belief system. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Brian Green. Hey, Brian, excited that you're here. Thanks for making the time. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. So I think this conversation is going to be really valuable for runners because what we're talking about is really how to think about your training and your mental relationship with the sport governs the kind of goals that you might set, how motivated you are, the level of mental toughness or tenacity that you display. So I think it's quite productive to make sure that we have a healthy mindset around our running. And I'd like to start with something that I think is fundamental to improvement and also the ideas in your book, which is this concept of feedback loops and how they impact your ability to progress and get better. Can you talk a little bit about how you define feedback loops for runners and, and how we can take advantage of this idea? Yeah, absolutely. I've really uh, adopted this as a as a core idea that I try to look for and try to and how I how I frame the situation I'm in and what I'm doing. So there's two types of feedback loops and I really my book only really covers one of them, but but to one of them is called a balancing feedback loop and it's the kind of thing that every time you do it, you do a little more or a little less and you kind of stay at equilibrium, right? And this is a kind of a feedback loop that you think of it as like your, your body temperature, right? You might go a little high, a little low, but it's going to, it's always going to sort of self-regulate around 98.6 degrees or whatever the, 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 the mean temperature is, right? But there's another type of feedback loop that is called a positive feedback loop. And, and I think of it as an exploding feedback loop, something that really, it, it moves away from equilibrium. And, and that feedback loop creates like outsized gains for you or outsized losses if you, if it's really if it's really you know working negatively for you and um for me I, I use this that idea as a um i use it as a way of looking is it is there possible to create or to to manage a positive feedback loop and in training if we want to get outsized gains we have to have a positive feedback loop and when we do, those incremental tiny gains that we make on a day-to-day basis start to compound on each other. They start to grow. They start to, to add on each other. Every day when you have a good workout, when you come back into the next day's workout feeling good, feeling fresh, having retained some of that improvement from the day before, or, or if you stretch it out from the week before, if you're thinking in weekly cycles, whatever the, the time frame is, as you keep going, those improvements start to compound and you start to have the opportunity for really big improvements and which you know in my book i call leaps right and and i use that because that's the colloquial term but the reality is you really can have a really fast and and an improvement in a really short amount of time um and i can go more into how i frame the, the feedback loops and how i think about each part of them but but the main idea is that if you can create a feedback loop and sustain it over a certain period of time you have the opportunity for very rapid improvement in a short time I love it. You're you're talking my language right now, Brian. <laughs> um, can you give us an example of a, a, a feedback loop that runners would be interested in? You know, in other words, if if they want to make a big jump in performance, a leap forward, what kind of feedback loop would help them do exactly that? So the way I look at it this way, um, and let's just talk about training as a just a general concept, because training has many components in it and everything. So I want to uh, usually like. It, 
when I when I write about this or I or I teach it in a class, I kind of have a a, a a a whiteboard or something I can draw the pictures. But let's just l- think about this. It's a it's four boxes in a, in a cycle in in, in with a, with arrows going around. The first one is your input, and that's just assume that's just you. It's your ability, that's your mindset, that's your focus, your concentration, whatever you're bringing to the workout. The second is the workout. It's it's the training that you're doing in that day. Let's say it's that day's work. The third box goes to an output and the output is whatever you however you are at the end of the day whatever whatever you've whatever you've done like you've 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 had a hard workout you've had an interval session a long run maybe you took a rest day the the output is you at the end of the day let's say now the feedback is the fourth box and this one loops back to the input so that the next day when you start your input is you again right but it's not you the same you as yesterday it's the you who's retained what whatever amount of yesterday's work you did right and so you have i look at the three main boxes that are the most critical are what mentality you bring to your workout that's you in the beginning it's how you how you're thinking about your training how you're re- how ready you are to show up to work out the training you're doing obviously is critical you have to have a good training program you have to have you have to be doing the right work but then the recovery or the feedback that is going back into your training the next day is super critical. And that that is an area where I think a lot of young runners don't really appreciate it. And I, I certainly didn't, right? If I'm thinking about myself, I would, I would put in my mind when I was training, especially when I was younger, it was just the workout. I did the workout. I did whatever I could. And then I didn't really think about anything else, right? It was kind of like, well, I did the work. I can go do whatever I want now. And now when when I think more about it, I really appreciate the, that what you're doing outside of your running and what you're doing for recovery and what you're doing, let's say it could be sleep, it could be stretching, it could be uh, other types of recovery work. All that stuff that you're doing is feeding back into tomorrow's workout in order to determine how ready you are to do good work the next day. So when I talk about a feedback loop we can make we can make really small ones about you know a sleep feedback loop or, or or a diet feedback loop but but i think it's perfectly useful to think of it as a very general framework for what are you trying to do each day with your training you talking about uh the recovery aspect of training and how important that is kind of just reminds me of when i was in college and and i thought exactly the same way too it was as long as I did the workout, then that's all that matters, right? I can go to the dining hall, eat a bunch of fried food, not stay as <laughs> hydrated as I should, maybe have a couple beers. And then after six hours of sleep, I'll go for my 16 mile long run the next morning. And that's obviously not the best way to do it. And if I remember the feedback I was getting the next day was, was not very good. My body didn't feel great, but I was young and I was able to you know, sort of get away with those kinds of training errors. But I can see how if you really want to gain from the workout you did the day before or gain from, you know, the training cycle itself, last week's training, this past month of training, I think setting up these feedback loops so that you're increasing your ability to recover, you're giving yourself positive feedback from these workouts so that, you know, you're more motivated and driven to actually go do the next workout because you just feel good. And and so that really resonates with me. And I think it was something that it took me a very long time to learn. Yeah, I think I 
definitely. I mean, I, I sort of, in mean, my story, I didn't learn it until I was about in my junior year of college, right? My, my, my uh, fourth year, because I had a redshirt year. And, and I think what I noticed in that year was when I started to take that every, every aspect of it seriously, all of a sudden, every day, I did feel better when I got up and I was running. And every day, every workout was ending better. And I was suddenly uh, hitting the times with a little bit less effort, or I was just, uh, just generally feeling better in many, in many sense. And, and then next thing you know, I'm, I'm super motivated to do the next workout, because I'm not, I'm not showing up to the next workout really sore and, and tired and exhausted and not feeling like doing the work. I'm, I'm showing up with a, a more energy than I used to. And, and all these things, I, this is kind of why I started when talking about the, the feedback loop as, as the fact that it can, when sustained over time, it can lead to you making a quick leap. And the, if you look at a one day's effort and you want to come back into the next day feeling as good as possible, retaining as much of whatever the improvement you made yesterday, if you can retain more of that improvement, feel better when you show up into the next day's workout and then do your work. But if you can repeat that cycle over a long period of time, you're going to be doing better, more quality, consistent work than many of your competitors, right? And when you're doing that, it just adds up. And and it and the way it adds up is that it it looks like it's just kind of gradually, you're just gradually improving. But when it when that cycle's been going on for long enough, what happens is it starts to really kick into gear and you you're like little 1% gains that you've done every day all of a sudden lead to a little bit of a jump in improvement. And that jump in improvement is when you find yourself in a race and suddenly you realize like, hey, I can just, I, I feel really good right now. I'm just going to go. And you and you run this great big PR, right? It's not, the great big PR never comes from one workout. It never comes from, oh, I did this amazing training session a, a week ago and that's why I PR'd. Big PRs always come from long, sustained, consistent quality work. And the quality work kind of masks the fact that, that that really big PR is coming because on a day-to-day basis, you're not, you're just seeing these tiny little positive improvements. You're not, you're not seeing a big improvement, but those little tiny positive improvements really do lead to a massive leap. Right. I, I look back at my running career and, and every single time that I was able to make that leap forward in progress. And and I'm thinking about some really specific instances, you know, between my junior and senior year in college, I got a lot better. And a lot of that had to do with my approach to the training, but a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was just able to stay healthy and, and run a lot more than I was ever able to consistently beforehand. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I recognized that it was my final year in college and I took fewer shortcuts. And I really put in the work to do all of those little things that really aren't so little. And they did create this great positive feedback loop where the more I ran, the more motivated I was to run even more. And the more, you know, the longer I stayed healthy and and every single PR I ran, it just got me more and more riled up to just keep, keep going and keep pressing forward. And by the end of that fall cross country season, you know, I had improved by leaps and bounds and and it was just so incredibly satisfying to reap the rewards from all that hard work I had put in. And and I don't think I would have done that if I hadn't created the environment around, you know, my running that really enabled that leap forward. And I think this plays into your idea of the optimal training period that you discuss in the book really well. 
um, it w- which includes a lot of different things. And I'd love to, to dive into this a little bit more. Uh, what's included in the optimal training pyramid? Well, I look at the optimal training period as uh, is just there's three main components. There's your attitude, which I uh, you know I think you could call mindset or or mentality. There's different words, but I, I just generally use the word your attitude. You've got your your effort and your training method, and many. I I just speak. I should speak for myself, and and so what I see in some younger athletes is that a lot of us put a lot of our focus on the training methods, and then how much effort we put into doing those workouts. And we don't address our actual attitude and mentality for for how we're approaching the workouts. And I've made the pyramid to sort of invert that and really make it visibly show like at the foundation of the optimal training pyramid, at at its core is the is your attitude, whatever your attitude is, is going to be is going to determine how how good your effort is in anything you're doing. And I think a lot of us understand that, but 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 we get caught up in the idea of, you know, I got to work hard and we don't take time to step back and say, actually, the way I think about working is actually the number one thing that's going to affect how I work. So at its core, at its base is attitude, above that is effort. And then at the top of the training pyramid is the training methods or your training program. And the way I look at it is, is sort of attitude is the foundation Effort is sort of the structure of, of, of determining how much success you're going to have. And your training methods are kind of like the, the, the polishing, they're the things that are going to actually, they're, they're very important. They're going to determine how, how well you're doing. But at the end, if you don't have your attitude really well designed and in place, and if you don't have the effort, it's the training methods don't matter. Yeah. And I think this really resonates with me because, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, if you have a poor attitude about your training, then it really doesn't matter if your training is structured incredibly well, if it's personal to you and your goals and your fitness level. And, you know, it could be great training, perfect training. But if you have all these defeatist thoughts and you can't motivate yourself to actually do the training, or you're not doing any of the little things that surround the training that really enable all of that hard training, then, you know, you might as well not have that perfect training plan in place because there's no way you can even really execute on it. Um, are, are there any ways that we can improve our, our attitude and our effort? Because I, I think I think these are so valuable, but it can be really hard to practically take action on these specific things because they can be a little bit abstract. Um, and often, you know, we think about effort, you know, a lot of people think a lot of effort or hard effort, but sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes your effort needs to go a hundred percent into taking a day off from running. And that effort really means that you're, you're not training at all that day. So how can we take this concept and make it very practical for our listeners? So there's a couple things here. One, um, and it's this is exactly the question. And the reality is, this is exactly the reason I, I wrote the book in the first place. Is that I, I, I really believe that you can train yourself to think better. And when you're starting to think better, that can mean many different things. But one of the things is just how what what are the tools and frameworks that you're using to analyze your situations that you're in. And and this is gets to me, this is one of the things that for me, I found is it's, it goes beyond running, right? It 100% applies to running and makes you a better runner. But it also can just sort of apply to anything in life. So if you understand better, you know, the basic rules of, of, of how the world works, it allows you to sort of set better expectations, make better predictions. Um, 
I use some examples in here. I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw out a couple and you can stop me and that we can dive into any of them if you want. But you get more out of your training when you're more engaged in it. And more engaged, maybe maybe immersed is a good word for it as well, is the more you're reading about your training, the more you're diving into things, the more you're exposed to it, the more your environment sur- that surrounds you is related to the thing that you're trying to achieve and the person you're trying to be, the more those things can keep your mind focused on what you're trying to do. And so this is one way, one, one way of thinking better about uh, um, and creating a better attitude is, is surrounding yourself with things that reinforce the attitude you, that you want to take to what you're doing. But another thing is having everything be purpose-driven, right? You, understanding what are you trying to do with each workout. The, your example of the rest day is exactly the, was actually the example I wanted to start off with is because as a young runner, I don't, well, I'll just say, I'll give you two stories. One is in high school. When I was a runner in high school, I didn't understand that road runs mattered. And I don't, this seems weird to me now because it's so central to training, uh, doing like long, you know, hard, sustained running. But in high school, I didn't understand that I should go out and do the six mile run at a decent pace when it wasn't a, a defined rest day. I just ran really slowly. Like I literally ran with my shoes untied for most of high school because I just didn't really understand that it mattered. And um, and so when I got to college, I sort of flipped that. And all of a sudden, my you know coach coaches were talking about how I got to be doing the road runs harder. I got to be move. I got to be running every day, not at, at a super slow pace, but really the work comes, the benefits come from these road runs. And so I'm doing more of these road runs harder. And then they would give me a rest day and I'd still go out and hammer it. <laughs> I'd still run it at like six minute pace because I'm thinking to myself, well, if I can run a hard rest day, uh, that's even better because I didn't waste my time resting. And, and it was a you know, it's a really naive, like young sort of immature mentality about running. But it's really easy if you don't think carefully about the the purpose of what the workout is for to slip out of of doing it with with some discipline and sticking to that. And you, then you get less you get less out of it, not because you didn't you didn't put more effort into it, but precisely because you you didn't align your effort with what the purpose of the workout was. That is so, so incredibly valuable for runners. And and I think it's so helpful to understand, you know, why your training looks the way that it does and the purpose of each individual run, whether you're doing a long run or a three mile recovery run, or, you know, maybe an eight mile base run, whatever you're doing, whatever workout it might be, each one has a very specific goal. And, you know, you talking about being more purpose-driven with your workouts just reminds me of being more process-oriented, understanding the why behind the workouts and really trying to accomplish that goal every single time you lace up your shoes, or maybe in your case, not lacing up your shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, with a lot of what we're we're talking about, Brian, you know, the little things, you know, being really process-oriented and all all these, these concepts, you know, it really reminds me that what you like what you were saying before there's the training but then there's everything outside of the training and you have this really fascinating section of your book that talks about the fact that runners really have two training programs at all times they have their official coach approved training plan that you know i sell on strength running that this is what you do but then there's also the hidden training program and i love this concept can you uh, explain what you mean by that absolutely and this is one honestly this framing made such a difference for me in in college that it, it it's just kind of made it click for me in a way that 
even my coach is telling me you got to do this stuff better. It didn't. So here's your your formal training plan is, you know, what you just said, what your what your coach is telling you, hey, this is the ways of the workouts, this is when we're going to meet, this is what we're going to do. Maybe you're in the weight room, maybe you're doing recovery stuff, but fundamentally that's what you're doing with your team or with your coach. The hidden training program is is essentially everything else. But here's the thing. When I, I think many athletes look at, the, they say, here's, I have a training program and then I have my life. And what they don't really associate is that their life is literally part of the training program, right? <laughs> that your life is fundamentally affecting your ability to achieve your training goals. And it was only when I started to view my life and these are the little things. This is like, what are you, you know, how are you eating your dinner? How are you, how much sleep are you, are you getting? What's your, who are you living with? Like, what are your uh, hobbies that you're doing outside of training that your work, your job, all these other things that, that are in your life? You know, calling it the hidden training program doesn't change anything. It's still just everything else in your life. But what I, what it did for me and what I think it does with, with the, with the athletes that I speak with is it makes it kind of click a little bit better that this is literally affecting your success but it's you're you're not seeing it as being a part of your training program because you've kind of arbitrarily not arbitrarily you've you've defined your training program as only the things that you're formally doing right and once you incorporate that all the rest of that stuff into your training program you're going to start thinking about it differently because you're going to start analyzing it with your training with your formal training mindset right your formal training mindset is i want to get the most out of this workout well then when you start to appreciate that everything else you're doing in your life is affecting your training, you start approaching those things with with that mindset of, oh, how can I get the most out of this? And you start to, you can find improvements everywhere. You know, this really reminds me of when I took the LSAT, I took the LSAT with some misguided dream of being a lawyer back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the best bullet I ever dodged in my life. But I took the LSAT one day and it was during the fall cross country season. It was on a Saturday when we didn't have a meet. And after I took this four hour standardized test, I went to the track and I ran a six kilometer tempo on the track that I completely bombed. It was not the pace that I was supposed to run. I told my coach about it. He was really disappointed. But in thinking more about it, of course, I was going to bomb that workout. I had I had surrounded myself with stressors and not put myself in the environment in which a good performance was made possible and even a little bit easier. So I was running alone. I didn't have my teammates there to help me with pacing and motivation. And of course, I was just so incredibly mentally frazzled from taking such a long, grueling standardized test that I couldn't focus. I was, you know, my my brain was just full of loose marbles and I had no clear way of of really getting immersed in the workout itself. And I feel like this is such a, you know, a microcosm of this idea that the environment around you is so important to your long-term training and individual workouts that you really can't ignore it. Um, and, and, you know, every time I've had a successful period of running, I look back and I'm like, oh, well, it was because I was on a team and I lived with some team members, of course, or, you know, post-collegiately, I lived in a house with five of my friends. Now, normally such a frat house-like apartment would not be very conducive to training well, except one of my roommates was much better than me and he was training a lot and running really fast at the time. And so it was almost like he was pulling me along. And I, and I love these little examples of how you can 
create the environment around you that will make your running improvement much easier to come by in the future. Well, l- let me give you one example from my college experience. So I, um, I sort of started thinking this way. I, I took it, I'll just really briefly say I, a lot of this for me clicked by taking a class, right? Like I took a class and it, and it was called the college experience and it was, and it covered all these social psychology and learning theory and, and how, why we learn and how this, how, how improvement happens. And, and, and all of a sudden I just was, it was they're t- teaching us this stuff to try to make us better students. And I, I literally was like, this is amazing. And I just started applying it all to my running, right? <laughs> I didn't hardly even think about it in terms of school. And I think my grades and all that stuff all went up from it, but it was, I, I really dove into applying it in my, in my training. But one of the things that I started doing is, you know, I, I was living with three other guys and we would go out to the bars and we would go uh, hang out late at night or we'd go out to, it, it didn't even have to be about drinking. We might go see the uh, 11 o'clock showing of a movie down at the theater down in, in, in town, right? And you'd come back home at 1.30 in the morning and then you go to sleep, but you were getting up at seven in the morning to go do our morning run, right? So when I started looking at all these other aspects of my life as actually part of my training program, it became a little bit easier for me to say, you know what, I'm going to skip this outing out tonight. I'm going to take, I'm going to take some time off of uh, going out to the bars and drinking right now. I'm just going to, I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit more disciplined in these areas. And um, that was an area, a huge area of my sort of lifestyle that a small change, I mean, for some people, it might feel like a big change. For me, i I was never as invested emotionally in going out to the bars every night. But I think making those changes, what it did was it not only had me feeling better every day, it had me feeling more committed to what I was trying to do and who I was trying to be. And then as I'm, that commitment keeps reinforcing itself like a feedback loop as well. Every day, I've, I've got like a streak of, of, co- of consistent positive uh, you know, approach that I've taken. My mentality's getting stronger. I'm feeling good. And um, I think... For me, it was it was tying in these sort of lifestyle choices outside of training into and, and thinking of them as part of the hidden training program that sort of allowed me to it kind of gave me the the reason I needed to be able to say no to a bunch of friends repeatedly, like, no, I'm not gonna go out tonight. No, I'm not gonna I don't wanna do that because I really do wanna get my sleep because it's critical to what I'm trying to do tomorrow morning and it, when I wake up. And and that's so for me, that was the 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 main example that that stands out. But I did this, I would say, in many, many areas of my life. It's just making small tweaks, small tiny improvements, because I started looking at it as being actually part of what is going to make me run better in my workout the next day. Brian, let me ask you, who is responsible for the hidden training program? And I ask because you put a lot of emphasis on responsibility in your book. And it really resonated with me as both a runner who's had more than 10 coaches during my career. And now as a coach, um, you know, I'm sure you might've gotten some pushback from runners who think, you know, their coach is able to solve all their problems. Cause I know I've heard similar sentiments in the past. Can you talk about how you think about responsibility for training for both the athlete and the coach? Yeah. And so what you just described, I used to look at, <laughs> I used to look at it, if my coach wants me to do it, he'll tell me, <laughs> right? And, and that is a mentality that uh, if you're very, very lucky, your coach might do that for you, right? And some coaches are brilliant at it, at, at, at paying attention to everything that's going on and seeing and being able to tell you exactly what you need. But if you depend on your coach for that, you are very likely going to fall short. And so I my attitude is that runners are responsible for every single aspect of their training. And that includes the workout design and what you're doing. 
However, I give a caveat in that 99% of runners should be delegating that work to a, to a coach, to an expert whose focus is on creating the right program for them. What they're responsible for is, and this is the formal training program. I'll get to the hidden training program in a second, but the formal training program, even your, your training program there, you as a runner are responsible for understanding what you're supposed to be doing, for having the conversations you need to have with your coach to get to that understanding and for executing as you're supposed to, right? Um, and then I guess after workout, analyzing it and understanding what you did well, what you didn't, taking that feedback con- it productively and applying it. And this is all part of the formal training program. When you get to the hidden training program, this is your lifestyle. You, many of us don't live with our coach. Our coach isn't you know hanging out with us and cooking us dinner and doing all these things. So we're getting into <laughs> this case. Brian, where, that's not a service I provide. <laughs> no, no, it's probably not, right? It's not a service I think I would be providing. And I think the hidden training program, this is even more up to you. It's more, you're even more responsible for this as a runner. And um, that doesn't mean you can't communicate with your coach and get guidance from your coach, but it means that the, the onus is on you to make those decisions and to, to structure that part of your life in the way that's going to enable you to train as, as productively and as, as purposefully as possible. You know, I'm about 15 years out from college, and I still remember my cross-country coach telling us to not burn the candle from both ends. <laughs> and it was his way of, of talking about lifestyle and how if you didn't want to run track, you weren't allowed to run cross-country because running is a lifestyle and you had to be committed to it year-round. And burning the candle at both ends was, you know, let's eat a good diet. Let's get our sleep. Let's not procrastinate on our schoolwork so that we have to pull an all-nighter at the end of the semester or before a midterm. Uh, let's not stay up all night, you know, chasing someone that you're interested in, you know? Yep. And, you know, he was always talking about these things. And, and I think it really impressed upon me the fact that, you know, the other 23, 22 hours a day when you're not running is, is so valuable. And, and he made it really clear that, look, I'm here with you at practice, but Otherwise, you are on your own and you are responsible for recovering and staying hydrated and staying out of trouble and, you know, just doing all the things that you should be doing as a student athlete. And that was so uh, eye opening to me that he would put so much emphasis on, you know, the non training aspects of running. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's fantastic that that he was even pointing it out, because one of the things about the hidden training program that or the way one of the things I um, the way I, I think of it is, you know, I, I, I frame it in the, uh, the book. I don't describe it as it's your lifestyle. What I, what I do, what I call it is it's what you really need to do if you want to be successful. And, and that's the extra level of commitment that you're going to have to put into it to, to structuring your life. And, and the reason I, I, I frame it more generally is that a hidden training program could, could apply very differently to many different people. Like the hidden training program, if you have I don't know, a really dysfunctional relationship in your life, whether it's a roommate or it's, it's, it's someone in your family or it's, it's, it's a, a class in some sense or whatever the, the situation is, that is, becomes by default. Dealing with that is part of your hidden training program. You have to deal with that in some way to, to, to enable you to get the best out of yourself. And um, when I think of what most athletes encounter. And I think I put myself in this even in college is that the way we 
understand, we come to understand what the hidden training program is, is by looking around us and seeing what other people are doing. And that is a, a wonderful way to discover it when you're in the right environment. And it's a terrible way to discover it if you're in the wrong environment, right? So because, uh, so if you come into a team and it's an, it's sort of undisciplined and athletes are, you know, out, you know, doing stuff all night, burning the candle at both ends, and you just sort of fall into that because that's what everyone's doing, you're not really, you're, you're going to, you're going to not uh, pattern your, your life after, you know, what you really need to be doing and, and really healthy teams. And, and I think it's really important for coaches to do this too, is to just be at, at a minimum pointing out the importance because obviously they're not going to be there to, to ensure that you, you, you adhere to it, but pointing it out and then building an environment in which people support each other and, and reinforce the, the good habits in the lifestyle that you want to, to be living as opposed to reinforcing the bad ones. You know, this makes me think of when I was training for marathons, uh, you know, in 2011, I ran my my PR in the marathon and, and I always found the training to be very demanding, obviously, mm -hmm, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, I remember thinking very specifically that I, I'm running so much and I'm doing these workouts, which are so challenging. And, you know, the, the maybe the most difficult aspect of competitive marathon training is just how grinding it is. You just have to constant, you're always on, you're doing a double session one day or a workout or a long run. I got one day a week where I ran less than an hour and it was like a vacation. But <laughs> one of the ways in which that I kind of thought about it was, you know, I had to make sure that I was able to run the next day. And I was usually sore enough, fatigued enough that if I didn't do most things right, I knew that I wouldn't be able to do that run the next morning. I, I would have something start to hurt or, you know, I'd be so sore that like I would be worried about getting injured. So I would really think about, okay, what are all those little things? What are the things in the hidden training program that I can execute on today that will help me tomorrow. Everything from maybe I, you know, do some uh, light core and strength work with some foam rolling to help myself feel better, stay hydrated, eat a great diet, try to get a lot of sleep. And so I was always dialed into those things because I knew that they made me feel really good and they really enabled me to do all the training that I was doing. And if I was not getting the sleep or if I was stressed out in some other area of my life, it would be virtually impossible to do that hard training. So for me, it was almost a survival mechanism. If I don't do this, I'm not going to be able to do the training. Then I'm not going to reach my goals. And I'm just so goal-oriented. That was like the only thing I cared about. So for me, it was just a matter of survival. Yeah, that, that actually resonates with me as well. I think, I think feeling sort of overwhelmed by the work you're trying to do, it forces you to reevaluate what you're doing and to try to find ways to do it better. What I think happens to a lot of younger runners is that they get by on their talent. Their training is not like as demanding as what you were doing uh, if, uh, physically, right? To try to become a marathon, a professional marathon runner. So they, they can handle it physically what they're doing. And they just assume that they're doing everything that they can be doing and that the results are indicative of, of the... Uh, of that. And, and the reality is, is that a lot of the times their results are way lower uh, in terms of what they could be achieving simply because they, they haven't taken the mentality to make these small changes in these other areas of their life and to, 
to dedicate themselves a little bit more to 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 doing the things that you were sort of forced to do because it was the only way to 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 handle the training you were doing. I think the reality for most of us, especially when we're younger, is our training doesn't tax us to that level. And because it's not taxing us to that level, it it doesn't act as like a forcing function to make us have to shift other aspects of our life around. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I like the way that you use the term forcing function because I think that's exactly what it was. I I I was forced to do all those little things just to be able to get through the training because that's what I really wanted to do. And I think part of it was that I knew I could do the training if I really focused on the hidden training program. And maybe we can end by by talking about maybe that idea of how we can convince ourselves that something difficult is possible. And you have a whole chapter on this idea, and I think it's just so incredibly valuable for goal-oriented runners to actually believe they can do something like you know, run a marathon, race a certain finish time, or, or even just train for a whole year without getting hurt. So how can we build this belief system in athletes so that they have more confidence in their ability to do hard things? Well, there's sort of two, two general things. One is I, I think every athlete needs to understand the idea and the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset, because I think, uh, this, this is an idea that really I had to, I had a very fixed mindset. And I, I, so I I think it's uh, part of the reason I believe it's so important is that I really had to learn this myself to, I had a fixed, a fixed mindset. Basically you, you assume that there's a limit to what you can do. And that limit is your talent and, and talent defines everything. And if you haven't, um, if you can't achieve something, it's a reflection of your talent. And the growth mindset looks at things differently and says, if you're, you can develop any ability by, by putting, if you put enough effort into it and, and what your performance really is, is a reflection of the amount of effort you've put into things and the amount of, 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 of uh, improvement that you've been able to gain. Now that's a generic framework. And I have a chapter on that. And, and I think it's really important because it's a hundred percent true. Your, your, your talent is critical to the, the, the level at which you're going to achieve, but it's not an indication of your performance. If, unless you, you force, unless you not force, if you, unless you sort of allow it to be the only determinant and that beyond the growth mindset. And I really, I I started there because I actually think the concept of self-efficacy is even more important, but self-efficacy like if you have a fixed mindset, self-efficacy doesn't really matter. It sort of starts with having a broad view that your ability can change over time and that you can develop abilities that you might not realize you have if you put the effort into it. Now, self-efficacy is a little bit different. And self-efficacy is is taking this idea of, of I can do this, but applying it to a specific task. So not just generally believing you can improve if you work hard, but believing that you can achieve the specific task that you're looking at. So it is very possible for someone to believe that they can run, say, a 16-minute 5K, but not believe that they can play uh, the piano at a concert level or something, right? And these are two completely different things. And you can have high self-efficacy for one and low self-efficacy for another. And Self-efficacy for me is fundamental to what we need to be creating in, in ourselves and also as coaches with our athletes. It's, it's a systematic way to build up the athletes in order to um, help them 
believe, like in their core, have the confidence that they can achieve it. And therefore, they will then do the work necessary to do it and not hold themselves back because they internally really don't think they can accomplish it. Um, and there's specific ways we can we can go into this. Uh, and I'll just point out because uh, it was a wonderful episode that you had another an entire episode on this topic with. I, I'm so bad. I'm forgetting the the, the lady's name uh, at this moment. I think but, she was uh, Dr. Amber Shipherd. Amber, thank you, Dr. Amber Shipherd. It was f- fantastic. And she covered it in, in great detail in that episode. But if you like, we can go into it for a couple minutes here, some of the key methods. But um, but. I want to just, I'll take a step back and say like this concept of self-efficacy, building up your belief that you can achieve a specific task is a core element of, of achieving what it is that you want to achieve. Yeah. And, and because I think it is so powerful for runners, uh, let's talk about, you know, the, the systematic approach to this that you mentioned. What are some of the ways that which we can build up this mental skill in our athletes uh, and, and for athletes to do it for themselves so that, you know, when they're thinking about some far off goal, whether it's, you know, a, a Boston qualifying marathon, your first marathon, maybe you just started running and you don't even think you can run a 10K, whatever the goal might be, how can we start building this skill so that runners start to believe in their ability to do these things, even if they've maybe never done them before? So there's there's really sort of... Uh, uh, Amber goes into a, a one extra one, which I think like, oh, that's I, I had never really known that. But there's there's main four main ways that 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 we really use uh, to to improve our self efficacy, and they seem obvious when you hear them. So I, as you listen to this, if you've never heard of this before, you're going to say you might say, yeah, duh. But it's really important to to understand this. So one of them is personal experience. If you've if you've done something once, then you're going to believe you can do it again. And that seems very obvious, but it's really, really important. And it's something that you don't have to have done your final goal before. If you can build in successes of personal experiences where you've hit, let's take Boston Marathon, right? I I don't remember exactly what the qualifying time is, but you want to qualify for Boston and that's your goal for the marathon. Now, you don't have to have run that time to find ways to build into your personal experiences examples where you've, you've felt like you've done it before. So maybe it's running the half marathon at that pace. Okay, you know you've run the half marathon at that pace and you did it in, in casually, you felt great. So now you've that fact that you've done that, it will always stick with you. You know you can do it. That personal experience that you that you that you had, it's building up your confidence that you know you can run at least that pace for that long. And the and you can do this via smaller bits and pieces and then use those experiences to to lead you towards believing I can do this on the big day, right? And in the big race. So personal experience is, is a big one. Um, and obviously, if, when you get really simple about it, if you've run a time once, you're probably going to believe you can do it again. Um, even if those conditions, you know, have changed, you know, you've done it, it just changes how you how you think about that time. That's the main one, and that's the best the best way to do it. The next best way is uh, I called it vicarious experience. Amber, I think, called it modeling, and this is looking at someone else. And I just described this as this is the if he can do it, I can too. And I think this is the most one of the most powerful ideas in the world is finding somebody who you relate to. This is the key thing: is if I look at um, an Olympian and I say, "Oh, look, he did it." I'm, I'm not going to look at that and say, oh, he did it, so I can too. But if I look at somebody who I really think of myself as being equal to, like we are the same, 
There's no, I don't feel like there's anything different about us. And that person's done it. That is going to fundamentally change how I feel about it. And so this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important for people to train with partners and on teams, because you find yourself training with somebody who you get to know and you get to relate really well. And then you start to realize like, well, look, if you know, Joe over there is doing it. I could do this too, right? Um, finding ways to use that idea or, or uh, to, to find examples that, that will build up your self-efficacy for what you're trying to achieve. Um, and to go quickly through the other two, one of them is, uh, I call it social persuasion. This is like your coach saying, I know you can do it. If somebody says, I believe in you, I've, I know that you can do this. If you trust that person and you believe that that person is an expert and, and, and knows what they're talking about, then that message that they're giving you is something that's going to improve your self-efficacy. It's going to, it's going to boost what you believe you can do. And then the last thing is sort of I say how you feel physically around, around about the experience, uh, how your body responds to something. If you're, if you're excited, if you're, if you're feeling, you know, um, uh, if you feel energetic about stuff, those, those physical responses that you get out in certain experience, in certain situations can, can also Im- affect how you, how you believe you, how much to the extent you believe you can achieve something. Brian, this was a whirlwind of mental fitness strategies and straight talk on how to think more strategically about training. I think this is one of those episodes where I, I need to have a notebook and a pencil and, and really take some notes. Uh, so thank you so much. Is there anything that I miss that you think we should mention? Anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Because I know we're not going to be able to do all the concepts and ideas in your book in you know 45 minutes to an hour. But uh, is there anything really critical that you'd like to leave us with? I want to, I, I do want to say, I think, uh, the, there's a very specific approach to practice, which, uh, I call in the book purposeful practice, which I think I I'd like to call it out because I think it has four key elements and we can, we can talk about them fairly quickly, but this is the, the mindset that I think every athlete needs to have when they step on the, on the track or on, on, on the road. And this is every practice, the four key elements of of purposeful practice are this. You need to have a very specific goal that you're trying to achieve. It's not about just having a good workout. It's about, it's about improving a specific ability. What are you actually trying to improve? It doesn't have to be running in general. It can be very specific. It can be pace, understanding pace, or it can be your, your, your posture. It can be something, but know what you're trying to achieve with the workout and, and, and focus on improving that thing. Secondly, you have to maintain your, your focus. You have to stay focused throughout the workout. Third, you have to get good feedback, which means whether that's from your watch and your heart rate monitor, or it's from your coach giving you feedback, or it's from your other, your, your peers who you're training with, having some sort form of feedback to understand, are you executing the way you're supposed to so that you can adjust in real time? This is the goal is, is to find where you're not, uh, if you're not doing the workout as purposefully and, and, as, and as accurate as you should, you want to be able to adjust. And then the last one is you have to get out of your comfort zone. And that means pushing yourself. It doesn't necessarily like on a rest day, it doesn't mean pushing your, getting out of your comfort zone. It doesn't mean, you know, hammering. It means you have to stretch your limits, whether they're mental or physical, in order to to really improve. You're not going to improve if you're just sort of if you're just if you're if you're feeling comfortable the whole time. And these four things are just four little mental uh, check boxes you can have to before you start your workout to say, okay, what am I improving? 
my, you have you you have to remind yourself the goal is to stay focused throughout the entire workout. The feedback, no, how are you planning to get the feedback, and how are you planning to to what what type of feedback are you particularly looking for? And lastly, it's accepting that you need to get out of your comfort zone. And so when that starts to happen, especially if it's a hard workout or something like this, you're ready for it and you and you embrace that. And I I, I want to call that out simply because at the end of the day, one of my core tenets of the book is. You can do the same workouts, the same training program you're doing today and get more out of it. And if you get more out of it on a consistent basis, you can have massive improvement really quickly. The thing is, the way you're going to get more out of it is by thinking better about it. And that, and so we talked a little bit about the hidden training program, which is absolutely essential to, to making improvements in. But I wanted to call out the purposeful practice because if you can apply this mentality to your actual workouts, now you're going to get more out of those as well. And it's just going to create an even stronger positive feedback loop. I love it. That's powerful stuff, Brian. Thank you so much. I'm going to include links to your book, your website, and other resources in the show notes for this episode. Brian Green, thank you for being here. Thank you. And there it is, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brian Green. He's been generous enough to offer a discount. So if you go to his site, maketheleapbook.com and use code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout, you'll save 20% on his new book. You can also find him on social media at maketheleapbook. Finally, another big thanks to Inside Tracker for making this show possible. I recently got the ultimate package with a mobile blood draw, and I did personally find out some minor issues with my health that I'm now addressing. You can see what Inside Tracker is all about at insidetracker.com. And if you want to take the leap, use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save 10% on any test that they offer. What they do is take a couple vials of blood, and then they test over 40 different biomarkers, like various stress hormones to determine if you're training too hard, too little, or if you have any physiological markers that are outside of your unique personal zone. And then they give you remedies, such as diet, exercise, or lifestyle changes. And that's why I love them, because you learn about problems, and then you get actionable solutions to those problems. They don't just isolate the problems, but they give you a whole bunch of ways of improving your results. They use blood testing to get this information, and then they communicate what you can do to lift or lower your results into that optimal range. And for any runner who wants every advantage in their training, for those runners who are trying to see what they're truly capable of achieving, I highly recommend Inside Tracker. I've gotten two ultimate tests over the last couple of years, and both experiences were easy, relatively painless, and quick. Head on over to InsideTracker.com to check out all of their testing kits. And don't forget, code STRENGTHRUNNING will save you 10% on any test that they have available. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and being part of the Strength Running community. We'll be in touch very soon.